I think there's twice as many people in here as there were at 9 o'clock. So I'd like to uh, s introduce our speakers for today um, and open with prayer. So our speakers are Chuck and Sally Rushmore. Uh, they've been married for 38 years. I'm sure most of us know them or have bumped into them here. And I haven't been here that long, and I've bumped into them many times and, and interacted quite a bit. Um, they have three kids. They have two grandchildren and two and a half great-grandchildren. I'm not sure what the, the half could mean, but okay, okay. <laughs> so um, Sally was a charter member of faith, and, uh, and, and Chuck started attending in 1980. So they've both been here quite a bit longer than I have. Um, and uh, they both had many roles here over the years, but currently Sally is the FIAC director, and they both volunteer on the AV team here. So they help make things like this work upstairs and know what they're doing. So um, I'm going to open in prayer and ask them to come up and share their story of faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Chuck and Sally. We thank you for the, the testimony that they have here at Faith um, and the story of their lives. I pray that you'd bless them and um, give them a, an easy time as they, as they speak with us and share with us and just pray that you'd bless our conversation that follows. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Can everybody hear me? All right. I grew up in Carmel. It was a small farming community then. Seriously. My dad was the only doctor. My brother David was born when I was five. When I was seven, we built a house with an attached office on the outskirts of town. Fourth Street. Fourth Avenue. Fourth Avenue. Southeast. That was the outskirts of town. And I say outskirts because between us and downtown Carmel, there was a huge white barn with big walnut hand-hewn beams and a whole herd of Angus cattle that greeted us when we came and went. So that's outskirts. Also, the year that I was seven, I accepted Jesus as my savior during vacation Bible school. Christ I told you that my dad was the only doctor. Christian Medical Society had a program when my dad was in medical school called One Go and One Support, whereby two Christian doctors teamed up as they finished medical school. One went to the mission field and the other one stayed in the U.S. and practiced and supported the one that went to the mission field. We supported Phyllis Irwin and, of course, her family, Russ and the kids. When they were on furlough, Patty, Nate, and later Cindy stayed with my family while Phyllis and Russ went to churches to speak. Hope Church, where we were active, supported a number of missionaries, all of whom I got to know. When the church split, I went with my dad and the rest of the committee to find a place for the new church, called Faith Missionary Church, to meet. When the bylaws were drawn up, the age for membership was set at 12, my age at that time. So along with my best friend, Leanne Smith, who's now Leanne Smith-Hardy, and a couple of others, I became a charter member. Soon after that, we had our first baptism, and I was baptized. The Itos were close friends, and my brother and I spent a lot of time at their house, while Kirk and Kathy spent a lot of time at our house. It was a cross-cultural childhood that was quite unusual for living in a place like Carmel at that time, and together with my friendships with so many missionaries would shape my adult life. I attended a class that taught Bible survey curriculum from Bible Moody Institute for four years. In high school, I was active in Youth for Christ. 
Growing up, I was also very active in 4-H. I took food, sewing, crafts, home furnishings, and rabbits. I raised Angora rabbits, and if you're not familiar with them, they have very long fur. And I learned to spin their wool on a spinning wheel, which led to my working at Connor Prairie, starting a couple of years before Eli Lilly bequeathed it to Earlham College. So I was often chosen to take people on tours when Eli Lilly had visitors in town, or to visit with Eli Lilly when he came to visit and see how things were going. Because I traveled all around the state giving demonstrations, people in the 4-H department of Purdue sent me a letter they had received. An orphanage in Korea had purchased a number of Angora rabbits, thinking that the fur could help support the orphanage, but then they didn't know what to do with the rabbits or how to sell their wool. I wrote them a series of letters and took pictures to help them understand how to shear the rabbits and spin the wool, and then my parents and I worked with Yaosin Dawes' father, who was an importer, to find someone who would buy their wool. That was quite a mission project. Those pictures and those letters turned into my first published book, Bunny to Booty, at age 15. About that same time, I helped to start the 4-H dog project, in, and that was in 1964. My dad struggled with drug addiction that may have started before he was a pharmacy mate in the Navy in World War II. Becoming a country doctor gave him easy access to the drugs. In the fall of my senior year, he disappeared one night, and a couple of weeks later, we heard he'd taken a job on an atoll in the Pacific Ocean and wanted nothing more to do with our family. My mom was suddenly plunged into debt and had no way to make money because there were no jobs in Carmel. However, the Lord provided for us in some unexpected ways. My dad had signed up for an evening geology class at what was then called IU Extension in downtown Indianapolis. My mom went to the class to explain the situation and convince the professor and later the administration to let her finish the semester so the money was not wasted. She then talked to the financial counselor who looked at her previous grades and told her that if she wanted to finish the degree she'd started years before, she could get a full academic scholarship. So mom signed up for elementary education knowing that if there was going to be a job in town it would be teaching. That same financial counselor talked with her about me because I was a senior in high school and advised my mom to have me contact Eli Lilly and see if he'd help me with college funding since we'd not filled out any forms for financial aid for me and the deadline was passed. Mr. Lilly readily agreed to personally foot the bill for tuition, board, and room at Taylor University for my freshman year. He was a huge fan of Taylor. I started out in elementary education. Taylor University was a safe haven for me. I made many friends, including Heather Eubank. My mom and I took many of the same courses those first two years and studied together on weekends when I came home to work at Connor Prairie. Charles Smith sent me money to go to Urbana 70 over Christmas break. The Lord spoke to me through Isaiah 6-8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Needless to say, I was open to the Lord throughout that conference and clearly heard the message of always seeking his will and asking him to show me what ministry he has for me, wherever I am. I got involved in InterVarsity at Taylor. One of the things we did was go to Ball State and work with members of their InterVarsity in doing door-to-door -door evangelism in the dorms. Heather and I became leaders in this project. I also started a Bible study in my dorm that really helped the girls on my hall 
and especially me, grow in faith. After two years at Taylor, I transferred to IUPUI, which was newly formed from the IU Extension with buildings all around the city, the Purdue Extension on 38th Street across from the fairgrounds, and the Medical Center campus. One day I went to the library to study, and Heather was behind the counter. We talked a bit and arranged to meet for lunch to catch up. When we met, all we talked about was how there was no Christian ministry at IUPUI and how God might use us to start something like InterVarsity there. And use us he did. We talked to Don Fields, who suggested we needed a couple of guys to work with us. Remember, this is the 1970s. And he taught Heather into going on to associate staff. The guys we talked into working with us were Harlan Day, whom Heather had met the summer before at Labrie, and who lived with a roommate in the same apartment complex Heather did, and so his roommate also joined us. We started Bible studies at the various buildings and at our homes, and once a month did a large group activity on what was becoming the main campus, with a speaker and activities for getting acquainted. A couple of years later, Heather and Harlan married. Teaching Bible studies and starting a ministry at a commuter campus stretched my faith. During this time, God gave me Micah 6.8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Many people in those Bible studies went into full-time ministry or have done a number of mission trips over the years. Examples you may know include Larry Lee, Steve Isinger, and Joan Isinger. I ended up graduating with a degree in secondary education in general science. I went into pharmaceutical sales in northern Indiana and lived in South Bend for two years. I was very active in the E-Free Church there. I also got involved in the Billy Graham Association through a friend of my mom's. My volunteer job was to go to crusades whenever I could and spend time with the widows who followed the association and prayed for them as they preached. It was fun, and I met a lot of wonderful people whose names I'd heard all my life but never expected to meet. It turned out that I'd soon be working with some of them. I then moved to a German-French company and got a territory in central Indiana. Soon after that, Don Fields asked me if I would become the college liaison for the Billy Graham crusade coming to Indianapolis in May 1980. Because I was already traveling a large piece of the state, I was able to stop at colleges and meet with people to spread the word and set up arrangements for busloads of students who would still be on campus to come to at least one night of the crusade. I went to my company's home office in Newark, New Jersey for training the first week of March 1980. Training went well, but on Thursday night I wrestled with the Lord. I was tired of relationships I'd had and was ready for something more. I told the Lord I thought it was about time for him to introduce me to someone special to spend my life with. I was to fly out at 8.30 a.m. on Friday, March 7th, but when we got to the airport, the runways were flooded and nothing was coming or going most of the day. I was on standby and finally made it to Pittsburgh with possibly a flight to Indianapolis around 8.30 p.m. <clears throat> I was born in eastern Pennsylvania in the Pocono Mountains. I was a middle child with an older sister and a younger brother. My dad was an old-time country doctor doing hospital visits before breakfast, house calls through the morning, afternoon office hours. He'd come home for dinner, back to the office for evening office hours, and then emergency house calls into the night. My family was very active in the Episcopal Church growing up. When I was in the fourth grade, my dad had his second major collapse from exhaustion 
and <clears throat> decided to take a, do do a job as a corporate doctor. Between sixth grade and twelfth grade, I attended six different schools and lived in seven different places. Dad got transferred to Indiana Bell Telephone Company halfway through my eleventh grade, and we moved to Carmel, Indiana. Carmel was a lot smaller then. <clears throat> we lived just south of 116th Street off River Road, a place called Oak Hill Farms. The Oak Hill Mansion was later moved down the hill and across the road, across the creek, and became the catering center at 116th in Hazeldale. After high school, I completed a two-year degree in tool engineering, which was a half-day program and worked second shift at a sheet metal manufacturer in McCordsville. My only day off was Sunday, <clears throat> and I got into the habit of sleeping in on Sundays and not going to church. After graduation, I took a job with McDonnell Douglas Aircraft Company in St. Louis. I got married to an Indiana girl and decided to move back to Indiana. I took a job with PR Mowry as a tool machine designer and worked for a few different divisions. Their last division purchased a numerical control grinder, and they sent me for training on the grinder. I had decided shortly after moving back to Indiana that my current degree was not what I wanted and had enrolled in IUPUI in mechanical engineering. During this time, my wife and I had a baby boy named Mike. However, things were not going well with our marriage, and soon my wife and I parted ways. I was living in downtown Carmel. Mike would come to my house almost every weekend. One weekend when Mike and I got home from somewhere, there were a couple bags of Mike's clothes on the porch and a note that said, I never want to see him again. And I became a full-time single parent. My mother said that she would be happy to keep Mike during the day while I worked and the company that I had purchased the grinder from offered me a job and I went to work for them designing, building, installing, and servicing NC and CNC machine tools. Life was good. Psalm 45.7 described me. <clears throat> you love righteousness, hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions. I had a firm belief in God and talked to him regularly about things in my life. I always felt that I could talk to God at any time, but I was not attending church. I prayed regularly and had a solid belief that God had control over my life. I decided that it was time to purchase a house somewhere in the Carmel area and found a three-bedroom ranch in one of the old additions close to downtown Carmel. I remember sitting on the deck one day and talking with God about finding a partner to share my life. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him in Genesis 2.18. <clears throat> in March of 1980, I was on a service call in Corning, New York, helping them get their grinder set up for grinding ceramic scalpel blades. On Friday, March 7th, when I was to leave, there was a heavy fog in the Corning airport, and my planned flight was canceled due to the weather. I ended up driving for a couple hours to find an open airport, and by the time I got to Pittsburgh, the only thing I could arrange was to fly standby on a much later flight. So I had lots of time to sit in the boarding area and wait for the next flight. I am not a social person. Um, growing, I'm never good at making friends. I moved around so much as a, as a youngster. It, it just wasn't something that came to me. 
But there was something about this girl that was also sitting in the waiting area for the same flight, and I thought it was very interesting. So I asked her where she was heading, and she said Indianapolis, but she was really, but she really lived in Carmel. As we talked about Carmel, and she told me where she lived, it turned out that she lived on the street that I traveled every day to get to my house. <clears throat> when we boarded the plane, she was sitting in the middle seat of the row behind me, and we continued to chat after we boarded. The guy sitting next to her asked if I wanted to change seats with him, and I said yes. <laughs> it had become really inconvenient by then. <laughs> and, and we continued to talk. We soon realized that we knew many of the same people. Her parents had been to my parents' home for some of the Christmas parties my dad had for doctors in the state, and it ended up that she lived four doors away from me. I saw her outside the house the next Saturday and asked her if she'd like to come for dinner. I fixed Welsh rarebit, and that started numerous evenings of discussions between us about life. Chuck, Mike, and I spent many evenings and weekends together, including going to Faith on Sundays. The first night of the Billy Graham Crusade, I sat on the stage with all the volunteers who had headed up parts of the pre-crusade. Market Square Arena was full. Chuck was sitting with my mom. When the invitation was given, Chuck was one of the first people out of his seat. God had answered my prayers. I was now certain Chuck knew the Lord. We knew Mike had asked questions in his Sunday school class and maybe even accepted the Lord at church a week or two before, but when we took him with us to the crusade over the weekend, he went forward. And because I was qualified to counsel children, I went with him and prayed with him. It was such a blessing and has been a wonderful bond for us over the years. After the crusade, we began to have family devotions together with Mike every night and started keeping a journal of prayer requests and answers, which we continued for many years. I was beginning to see a new ministry of training children who loved the Lord. We were married August 2nd, 1980, five months after we met. I remember thinking at the time that at least I was financially well off and wouldn't have the same problem as those who got married early in life. Sally and I began building a life together. Sally instantly became a full-time mother to an eight-year-old boy. And as we discussed what was important, we committed to tithing 10% to the Lord. Sally had lost her job with her company and her company car just before our wedding. We had lost her income into our monthly budget and she needed a car to haul Mike around. We realized we did not have enough money to pay our monthly bills. However, even with or because of our tithing, the Lord provided enough money to make ends meet every month, often providing me with contract work I could do to earn additional income. Sally and I joined the newly marrieds class led by Bill Fountain. About a year and a half after we joined that class, the Fountains announced that they were going to the mission field. Six or seven of us from the class, couples from the class, got together to figure out what we were going to do and came up with a shared leadership model including Bible study on Sunday mornings and social events on a regular basis, often including the children. The next summer we decided to go to Cedar Campus, InterVarsity's family camp. <clears throat> that started 28 years of our family going to Cedar Campus. Our first year there um, we knew, didn't know anybody. When we arrived, we discovered that everybody there had been attending together for years. They had no idea we even existed. Our family of three was placed at a table by ourselves. 
but a family of five quickly adopted us we st and became our best friends. We still vacation with them two or, uh, once or twice a year. I took a long-term substituting position teaching science and math at a Catholic middle school. During that year, Chuck took a new job with a company that was co-owned by an Indianapolis company and a French company which was starting to manufacture robots. As Chuck worked to design and manufacture large robots for factories, we spent a great deal of time with the French engineers and their wives over the next few years, introducing them to the American culture and language and sharing all aspects of our lives with them. We didn't see that as a ministry or a training grounds at the time, but it was both. Dave Baldwin asked us if we would start a class for single parents. We said yes, realizing that it would be far more than a Sunday morning class to teach together. It would be a ministry of walking beside both men and women, struggling to raise one or more children alone. We spent many Saturdays helping someone with yard work or fixing a car or simply listening to them. When Tim was born in May of 1984 and Becky in December of 1985, we realized we didn't have enough time for everything and had to bow out of the single parent class. In those days, faith was bursting at the seams. We plunged into teaching in the preschool departments, and eventually I was one of the leaders. We both frequently taught for all three services that faith had at that time, leading almost all of the different ages of preschoolers over the next several years. I was blessed to meet with Nancy Wooden and other class leaders each week to study the Bible, pray, and plan. Nancy was a great example as a leader. We even volunteered to teach preschoolers for the extension of faith that met at Brebeuf. What a miserably hot summer that was. Soon after that, Grace was started, but we stayed at faith. Mike, being 12 years older than Tim, was sometimes like another parent to Tim and Becky, and sometimes just another sibling. Because he was usually there after school, he became the main babysitter to his younger siblings while I tutored out of our home. When Mike graduated and went to Purdue, Tim and Becky were lost, but a couple of years later, Mike and his friend Rebecca announced they were having a baby. They moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, where she completed an internship for her PhD in audiology, and Mike continued his studies and worked. We committed to living a marriage dedicated to the Lord and being transparent with them about the ups and downs, but they decided marriage for them was not going to work. However, Mike had Shelby most school vacations, so frequently she came and lived with us, especially in the summers. Mike was really active at faith during his teen years, and we expected Tim and Becky to follow in his footsteps. But as Mike went into junior high, he began to feel increasingly ill at ease in the youth group. Tim. Said the wrong name. Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Tim went into junior high. He began to feel increasingly ill at ease in the youth group. We substituted one Sunday and were appalled at what was not being taught. We tried to talk to people in charge, but nobody was interested, so we decided to look at other churches. Our visits to three churches were a disaster, so we stayed at faith for a while, but by the next summer we knew we had to go elsewhere if we were going to help our kids grow. We saw it as our mission to work with our kids to choose a new church, so we sat down, and sat down with them and talked, and then as a family, we went through the New Testament and made a list of all the things that, that we might find in a church that was growing and serving God and growing believers. We also decided to visit a church for a full month and go to as many activities as possible before making a decision. However, halfway through the month of going to the second church, 
the kids looked at us after church one Sunday and said we could go wherever we wanted, but they were going back to the first church we'd visited, East 91st Street Christian Church. We were fine with that, and we joined a class called Dunamis, which had a wonderful Bible teacher and lots of great fellowship opportunities. What we found out about the second week was that it was also full of caring people. Chuck's folks were hit by a semi-truck at US 31 and 116th Street in August 1998, and the nurse who first cared for his mother in the trauma center was a member of Dunamis. She was the one who discovered Mary's internal bleeding and collapsed lung and worked quickly to stabilize her. She worked with us over the next few weeks to fully understand their conditions and make good decisions for them. Although the class members didn't even know us, they helped us in a variety of ways, such as bringing meals, making phone calls, and providing transportation for our kids to various youth group events. God's timing was perfect and his people blessed each of us. We all grew as Christians and learned to give back through missions and ministry during the 10 years we were at East 91st. For three years, the entire church was involved in putting on something called Bethlehem Village at Christmas. We each did different things, publicity, helping with animals, running sound, even portraying a Roman soldier. Tim went on a mission trip to help build porches for people in the mountains. Becky and I went on a mission trip to Chile. I served on the deacon board and our whole family volunteered for the audiovisual team with Tim and Chuck running sound and Becky and me running PowerPoint. In 2001, we were preparing to leave for Cedar Campus. I was to pick Tim and Becky up from my mom's at noon on Friday on the way home from YME, a breast cancer support organization I worked for part-time, and meet Chuck at home to pack the car and leave. I got a call from Chuck saying he was at the emergency room with a heart issue. His heart had been racing for nearly 24 hours and they were going to reboot it and then send him to the 86th Street Heart Center for observation and a heart cath on Monday. Tim and Becky were devastated. Cedar Campus had played a very heavy part in our family's growth in many ways. Each of us was always involved in a Bible study with people who we didn't see every week, so the applications and interactions were new and fresh. The friendships and family interactions transcended denominations, ages, and genders. Each of us gained a deepened appreciation of all facets of God's creation. It was also a time of refreshment, renewal, and evaluation for our family relationships. The Vowles, who ran Cedar Campus, had a boy Tim's age and a girl Becky's age, so our two families shared many good times together, and Becky has remained close friends with Kate over the years. I called them and they said, if you can get Tim and Becky here, we'll look out for them, and if you and Chuck can come later, we'll find a quiet place for Chuck to rest. Mike went with me to take Tim and Becky. The time we spent talking on that trip and walking around Cedar Campus helped Mike decide he really wanted to take Shelby the next year. That was the beginning of his journey back to relationship with God. He and Shelby and one of her friends joined us at Cedar for several summers. Mike and his family, including Shelby, her husband, and children, are still attending every summer and will leave for Cedar Campus later this week. We have witnessed the results of obeying Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. When Chuck and I chaperoned a Carmel High School orchestra trip to New York City for Tim and Becky and their orchestras to play at Carnegie Hall right after Thanksgiving of 2002, he spent a lot of time on the phone negotiating a new contract between his company, EDS, and Allison Transmission. 
He knew he would not be able to stay at that location after negotiating a contract. His boss called him over Christmas break to say his new job starting January 2nd was in Detroit, well, Troy to be exact. That was a little further away than we'd expected. We had two high schoolers, his parents in a nursing home in Carmel for us to help, and my mother down the street who needed our help. We prayed about whether to move or look for a new job. Chuck then discovered some other people had also been transferred to Detroit, so he teamed up with one of the fellows whose wife didn't want to move, and they rented an apartment. Chuck drove up every Sunday, worked from the office Monday through Thursday, and drove home Thursday night to work from home on Friday for the next five years. Those five years tested our marriage, but in the end, it was stronger than ever. During that time, Tim graduated from high school and went to Ivy Tech in Lafayette, and Becky graduated and went to Purdue. Then Tim transferred to Middle Tennessee State University to study sound production. I quit teaching computer applications at Ivy Tech in Carmel and Lawrence and started my own business of writing and editing. That allowed me to travel with Chuck to the apartment one week of each month, and God provided enough income from our jobs to support each of the four of us in a different location. We had worried about how we'd ever pay for college, but the Lord provided immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. From Ephesians 3.20, we began to hear about the new minister, Tom Macy, from friends who were still at Faith. So after Becky left for Purdue, we decided to visit Faith to hear him. We never went back to East 91st after that first visit. Shortly after that, I learned about the English classes that were being taught at Faith and talked to Steve Isinger about ways I could help the students with writing. By the next spring, I was teaching a class. Although I wasn't trained in teaching English as a new language, I soon discovered that all I had learned in elementary education and secondary education courses and teaching adults at Ivy Tech could be applied and my many years of one-on-one -on -one tutoring helped me to be a good listener who was ready to seek new ways to help <coughs> my students. I enjoyed getting to know the students and seeing them progress in their English and in their lives. My job with EDS changed in May of 2007 and I was allowed to work full-time from home. Sally went with me to pack up the apartment. On our way home we got a call from Mike's girlfriend saying he'd been in a motorcycle accident and was at Methodist Hospital waiting for a back fusion operation. After his operation, he stayed with us to recuperate. Our house was full that summer. Tim and Becky home from college, Mike staying with us to recuperate, and his daughter Shelby visiting. After having nobody home, Sally suddenly found out that she was running a hotel and restaurant for six people and doing most, most, the most writing and editing she'd ever had. During that summer, Mike had a lot of time to read the Bible and talk with his girlfriend. Not long after that, they announced they were both being baptized and then getting married the next May. During the recession of 2009, after 19 years, my job with EDS was downsized. During the year, during the year that I was out of work, Becky found out that she was pregnant and I was able to babysit Addison almost daily after she was born so Becky could finish her classes at Purdue. The Lord is good. I was attending a Romeo lunch with men from faith, which is retired old men eating out. Um, and I got a call about a job opportunity. It was the first call back I'd gotten in over a year and more with more than a thousand applications for positions. I took the job with a startup company from Los Angeles, opening an office in Indianapolis 
and they tried really hard to convince me they had 16 employees. I found out later that that included a number of part-time people and some people that no longer worked for the company. And only two of them worked in Indianapolis. It was a fascinating job. I loved working for a small company again. You get to do everything that way. Sally's mom lives four doors down the street from us, and I had built a ramp for her from her porch to her patio and installed a couple of handrails for her to use to get up and down the steps to her house. One evening while Sally and I were walking, we saw a ramp that had been built for a handicapped person in Carmel, and we discussed that ramp building was something I might want to do after I retired. I took a picture of the nameplate on the ramp, thinking I might look it up sometime in the future. A month after I started work at Trifecta, Sally started a full-time editing for Kappa Delta Pi, an educational honor society that puts out two magazines, a journal, and several books a year. I retired from Trifecta after five years and helping grow the company to over 60 full-time employees. Sally retired from KDP after six and a half years. No matter where we've worked, Sally and I have always been the people others come to when they need a listening ear. Because of this, we, had wit we have witnessed and prayed with many people over the years. When we ask if they want us to pray with them and for them, people are usually eager and then tell us how much that helped them. A few months before I retired, Sally and I were attending a memorial service for one of our friends from Dudamis, and I ran into a guy that I used to work with and asked him what he was doing these days. He said he was building wheelchair ramps for people that could not afford them with an organization called Servants at Work, or SAWS for short. That was the name on the ramp that Sally and I had seen. SAWS is a faith-based ministry that welcomes all who want to share in their mission of building wheelchair ramps for people that can't afford one. Sorry. Um, it's based on Isaiah 46.6. You will free the captives from their prisons, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. My friend suggested that I come out some weekend and help build a ranch, a ramp. Um, I retired in May that year and ended up building 30 ramps over the summer and fall. Saws has pulled together a number of pieces from my background that I really enjoy. I get to design new ramps, draw them up, create the bill of materials list for the projects, and work with some great people. Since getting started building ramps, I have become one of the project leaders and participate about three days a week in some aspect of the organization. Another thing that I find particularly enjoyable is working with the outside groups that volunteer to build a ramp. We often take youth groups, church groups, corporate groups to help on our builds. Nothing touches your heart like talking with a client who has not been out of the house for many months and can now get outside in their wheelchair whenever they want to. This year provided some challenges for the organization and our area coordinator was out for two months due to a knee replacement. Our shop coordinator was involved in a skiing accident and has not been out since March. Has, has been out. Has, has been out of the organization since March. As a leader and the leader of our finishing quality control team, Tori's Achilles tendon has not been able to run the finishing team. Somehow I ended up being drafted to fill these gaps in the organization. <laughs> I continue to do the very first freelance writing and editing job I ever took back in 2006. 
I work for a dog website owned by a lady in India, but I write about all types of dog breeds and help people with their dog's behavior issues wherever in the world they live. I'm not sure if this is a mission or a ministry. I also edit books and help people publish. I've become a sort of go-to editor for many people who write to and for the Third Culture Kids group, and I've helped a number of Christians with their books, including Say Boer, whose first book helped him raise the funds to start a Christian college in Liberia. After being on the leadership team of Faith International English classes for 10 years and the teacher trainer for eight years, I ended up with the job of director a year ago March. I hadn't thought I wanted or was qualified for that job, but God made it very clear that I was the person who was to have that job and that I was able, with his help, to guide the program through a lot of changes. As a teenager and into my early 20s, I thought God wanted me to go overseas as a missionary, but today I can tell you God sent my mission field here. Our FIAC theme verse is certainly true. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us, Acts 17, 26, and 27. Recently, Nate Irwin said to me, you may have ministered to more people through your work and in FIAC than many people do in a lifetime on the mission field. We've always put God first. One of the things our family has enjoyed doing is going to church on vacations. We have chosen an e-free church in many towns or cities, but we've also gone to a variety of other denominations and even the Catholic Church when we were with Chuck's folks. That gave us a lot of opportunity to talk with our kids about beliefs. They all understand the importance of a personal faith walk. We've put family second. We cared for Chuck's folks for 10 years after their accident. We do a lot for my mom, who's now 95. That has also meant a lot of babysitting and always being open to having any of the kids or grandkids stay with us for various periods of time. We get Addison every Wednesday so she can go to Awana, a decision that she made. She calls me her mama's taxi service because I often take her to appointments, lessons, and 4-H. 4-H has been a blessing in our lives. All the kids and grandkids have gone through it. Chuck spent 10 years working with government entities to get a large building built at the fairgrounds in Nobisville and still serves on the Buildings and Grounds Committee. And I still work with the dog program where Addison has just finished her first year of 4-H dog, winning reserve grand champion. 4-H still has a spiritual component as well as teaching hard work, following instructions, teaching others what you know, and working together to set and accomplish goals. It also teaches you to work to a standard rather than comparing your work to other people's work. By the way, the 4-H fair is on right now in Nobisville if you want to attend a fair with no carnival and all the focus on the kids and their hard work. Because Chuck and I are both helpers by nature, you'll often see us behind the scenes of a mission project or ministry. We work in AV, and in fact, Tim has gotten back into AV with us. One thing we've learned is that every task and every job you do, you learn something that the Lord takes at a later time in your life and weaves with other things you know or skills you have to use you in an even greater way. Oh. <laughs> next, next part's the fun part for, for everyone out here. Um, we have a few minutes that we can take some questions for Chuck and Sally. What was that? She's harassing him. 
about not being Amory. I'm not Amory. Oh. Huh? <laughs> we don't have favorites. They all have their own individual personalities. <laughs> yeah. He lived in the mansion. I, I lived in the house that they moved down the hill, across the creek, across the road, and then built the back meeting rooms on to that house. But it sat um, southwest. Uh, if you go down Hazeldale over the creek and then up the driveway, which is now a gated driveway, and somebody built another house back there. But that's, that's where that was. 65 and my folks moved out in 80 in 1980 they rented it from we've never been on a missions trip together <laughs> something we look forward to <laughs> something we look forward to in retirement if we ever either one completely retire enough we can do it <laughs> yeah Nathan? what was the hardest part for your marriage when you were working in Detroit other than the distance um, working at the communication and and just uh making sure that we stayed connected with and connected with the kids and the family. How did you see God's faithfulness during that time? Um, well, for one, for providing enough money that we could keep two kids in college and th two residences for us. Um, but, but it was really neat. One of the families we were very close to from Cedar Campus lived up there. And, in fact, there were two families that did. And we, when I went up, we'd always get together with them. And, and I got to get together with the women. But then in the evenings, we'd all get together as couples and go out to eat and talk. And, and that was really fun because we talked about the Lord and how the Lord was working in our lives. And they had kids who were going through struggles. And so we prayed together. And that really strengthened us but it, it was the communication part was probably the most difficult and keeping him connected with the family because he was kind of a satellite and the kids and I would talk about stuff and then he'd come home and and we'd continue our conversation and he'd just look at us blankly like what are you people talking about so then we'd have to start all over and bring him in and so that was you know I, I tried to keep him connected and then I would realize oh gee we, we didn't talk about that we need to get that up to speed but I think that happens any time that one of the parents is home more with the kids than the other one. Did you wind up meeting any believers in Detroit that you got to spend time with? Um, well, yeah, because I worked for a large company, and um, so the believers in that organization had a tendency to hang together um, throughout that time, which was 
it was great. It was really enjoyable. Um, and we had our friends from Cedar Campus in Detroit as well. We weren't there on the weekend, so we didn't connect in a church up there. Although I, I connected into um, the Chamber of Commerce because that's where I got a lot of work. And so I attended chamber meetings and met some Christians through that. And is Saul's headquartered in Indianapolis? It is, yes. How big an area does it serve? Well, at the moment it serves the United States. Um, not quite, but um, it, it's basically, <clears throat> I mean, it started in Indianapolis in the donut counties. We now have uh, operating groups in 52 of the counties in uh, Indiana, and we've got a group started in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we've got a group started in um, Arizona, Arizona and, and South Carolina. Uh, one in South Carolina. So we're the, the actually the Methodist Men's Ministry is considering picking it up as an nationwide. ongoing nationwide. Uh, function which would m move it out all across the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, we, the yes, we, 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 the labor is all volunteer. Um, the materials we purchase, um, we either get donations or grants. Um, and um, it, that's where all the material comes from. And, and we get grants in lots of different counties, and those grants help support those uh, outside counties as well. A lot of times when a group volunteers to bring either to do it as a team building thing or as a mission thing, they also raise the money for the f to fund that particular ramp. Yeah. You mentioned that the Bible teacher that you had, or the, the class leader you had for Zoom was a very good teacher. Was it Don Ball? Was he still Yes, it yeah, was. Yes, it was Don. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's wonderful. Great family. Kelly, I think you mentioned that your father had left. Mm-hmm. And did you ever, ever hear back from him? No, he never wanted anything to do with us at all. We tried to contact him once he came back to the U.S. He would not return phone calls. And one time I ran into him in the grocery store, and he left his cart of groceries and ran out of the store. There was a hand back there. Ann, is that you? Yep, that was my question. Oh. <laughs> he, he's gone now. He, he never knew his grandchildren, and, and none of us were recognized in the obituary. I think that's it. Yes. It's a wrap. Thank you both very much.